Hey everybody, welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Merton. And I'm Dean Reverman. Dean, you know, we had an episode last year about warehousing and all this modern technology involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the the concept we, we kind of dug into there was this idea that maybe we didn't know as much about all this behind-the-scenes technology and warehousing we thought. It's not right? as it's not as upfront for us. We don't get to wander through warehouses and supply chains. See, hey, what's going on back here? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, right. Not the way you see stuff in healthcare and retail mm-hmm. as much. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of fascinating, cool technology. But what I didn't know is that there's also a lot of people in those industries that aren't aren't too excited about that technology yet or don't know how to implement it or are still mm-hmm. a little little Neanderthal and mm-hmm. archaic maybe A little about bit, it. you think? Yeah. Can we say Excel spreadsheets? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, I like a good Excel spreadsheet, but All right. not yeah. if I'm working in a high-paced area. Trying to run your business I don't want it. the person who's responsible for getting me detergent faster <laughs> to be working off of a spreadsheet. Let's just put, we'll it, just put it there. There yeah, you go. Exactly. Yeah, so that's kind of our topic today. We're going to dive into the world of warehouses, uh, integrating that new technology, you know, and how we help them get there. You know, we want mm. our bar audience to think about, hey, how can you help your warehouse partners jump those hurdles and maybe get out of that stone age and, and adopt some more new technology? We're mm-hmm. going to have Justin Griffith with Justin Griffith with us from yep. StayLinked. Got a good one. Uh, he's. We're going to talk a little yes. bit about the problem that currently exists: those those warehouses, those legacy platforms. All the new stuff that could be out there that they're just not doing. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about maybe where we see some immediate attention and demands. What's going to help warehouses compete as the market expands mm-hmm. over the coming years? Mm-hmm. Uh, how is this affecting you know hardware upgrades as well? Since that's obviously important to our VARs. And you know, we'll talk a little bit about Staling themselves and how they can help out. Uh, all that plus our usual value to the VAR and what's tech connecting with us. It's time to plug in and get connected. <laughs> Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right. As I mentioned, our guest today is Justin Griffith. Justin is the CTO of StayLinked. Justin, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, your role at StayLinked, and uh, and how did you get to where you are? Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Very, very excited to be on the show. Um, yeah, my name is Justin Griffith. I'm the CTO at StayLinked. I'm actually one of two CTOs at StayLinked, so a little bit more on that in a little <laughs> bit. But um Actually, in one week, I'll be 17 years at the company. Oh, wow. So I was, yeah, I was the company's first tech support person. <laughs> so I can get pretty dangerous technically when I need to be. But um, I've been doing the CTO role for about six years, and um, my role is kind of general company strategy, but but specifically around you know spotting technology trends. And my CTO half is sort of getting it into the market as it exists today versus kind of focusing entirely on what's coming next. That's gotcha. Awesome. And he's coming to us from Orange County. We're not going to hate on him too well, much no, because it's not. raining and ugly. <laughs> no, and he, even, he even has like the Hollywood filter on. Too. I know, like, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, we don't ask our guests to like, you know, look magnificent or have the perfect setup for their, you know, operation, you know, when they, when they get on a call with us. But, but if but, you're looking for where should the bar be set, right there. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. You know, if you can accomplish that, you, you've got it done. CTO cardigan on two. Thanks. Yeah. Meanwhile, Thank these you. two nerds have the same shirt on yeah. and we're in our we're old tired studio, you know. So. Man, we're driving people to watch it now, aren't we? There you go. Yeah, no yeah. <laughs> Subscribe <laughs> now. Good. All right. So, Justin, thank you for being with us. Um, you know, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I, I want to get into this topic about warehouse technology, and and this was one of those things yeah. where you can, you know, you and your team kind of reached out to us a little bit about, you know, mm. this particular topic and and its relevance, and I was not really particularly aware of the fact that you know the, our warehouse partners are not really moving as fast as they could or should be to mm-hmm. this cool new technology. We, we, yeah. We've had a podcast before where we talked all about that technology and like, man, this is awesome stuff. I can't re- like Assuming it's already in place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why and then, wouldn't everybody And then you turn around this. and find yeah. out like, no, it's it's actually not. And, and um, you know, as a touch point for that, I just happened to be doing some research for a different project yesterday that was mostly around cold storage. But, you know, one of the t- um, the stats I found or came up with was that uh, something like 78% of cold storage facilities had been built before 2000. And, and mm-hmm. you know, Holy the average Lord. age was like 34 years for those. And then most of them were still operating on a lot of old and outdated technology and mm. weren't ready for expansion, despite the fact that that particular yeah. 
you know, uh, industry is mm-hmm. growing rapidly. Oh, and sure. It definitely has over the last years. Everybody started ordering more stuff at home. And there's been right. more more demand for you know, cold food and, and direct-to-customer type stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of want you to, to start off with the problem here. You know, um, we, we have these warehouses that are still <laughs> operating on this outdated legacy platforms and interfaces. You know, explain to us, like, what does that problem look like? Uh, how is it preventing new tech adoption right now? And, you know, what, what do you think is the reason why everyone's yeah. hesitant to upgrade? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of big questions kind of wrapped in there. The you know, so just taking the industry as a whole and, and technology as a whole. So we've been in business about 30 years, and uh, before creating a, a terminal emulation software, we were a software services house. So we used to, we used to actually service the the applications that people were using to do the actual work, do the workflows, and uh, our specialty right before. Uh, we uh, wrote the software that that we primarily focus on now was around uh, fixing Y2K. So, um, <laughs> oh, yeah, and, and just to give give people an idea of the resistance of, of change a bit, um, our our final project, and again, this is when Y2K was happening. I don't know if you guys remember, but the stakes oh, yeah. were: oh, yeah. if Y2K doesn't get fixed, planes are going to fall out of the sky. Absolutely. Right? So, to give you an idea of how close people will cut it. Um, wh- when do you think our final Y2K modernization project was? December 31st, 1999. It was in 2003. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so, and that's when, when planes were going to fall out of the sky, right? So <laughs> anything less than that is kind of, you know, uh, yeah. it should give yeah. you some measure about people's motivations to move. But, yeah. you know, if you think about the problem, warehouse is still operating on outdated legacy platforms, interfaces, and, and all of that thing. And if we start with kind of how is this preventing new tech adoption? Like if you take my specialty in particular, terminal emulation, right? Um, and, and the underlying protocol. So the, the language that terminal emulators speak, first of all, it runs about 65 to 70% of the mobile devices that are out there with barcode scanners, depending on, on which manufacturer, which analyst you ask. That's, a, that's about it. So we're well over half of the use case, right, for, for mm. these uh, data collection devices. But the underlying language that they speak uh, turns 52 years old this year. Uh, so from, from, uh, yeah, from, from a computing standpoint, we're talking kind of dawn of enterprise computing level mm. stuff. But um, it, it's kind of the equivalent of, of speaking Latin at this point, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That a lot of these systems were written in and based on. Um, so that, that protocol, it was written well before any of this technology existed. You know, even something as simple as wireless communication, it doesn't fundamentally understand. So when you when you look at, at kind of that technology that people are relying on, um, there's there's a lot of different facets to it, but it sort of gets a bad rap. It's it's old. It's definitely old on computing terms. It's very old um, and it's ugly, but it's also fast. It actually has a lot of merit on the speed that work can get done. With. And in our industry, by more than any other metric, we are measured by how many boxes get out the door. So if the goal is speed, there's actually merit to sticking with some of these older systems, right? And it is everywhere. It's in at least 65% of the warehouses that are operating today. So when you look at the the other side of that, why is there a hesitancy to upgrade? Again, it's another big question, but there's a couple of couple of different angles to that. One is it's absolutely entrenched, right? A lot of these systems, like talking about the cold storage, a lot of those systems were deployed when the warehouses were built, you know, 30 plus years ago. So they've become too big or too expensive or too custom to replace. Or in some cases, they're just too old to breathe on, right? Like, don't don't touch it. It's what <laughs> don't, you know? Um, oh, no. or, yeah. yeah, honestly, it, it it's... You know, there might be too many systems relying on it to touch mm-hmm. it. So I think our our industry kind of gets a bit of a bad rap in that it sort of comes off as, you know, being anti-change or anti-innovation. And I think what we're actually seeing is people who are anti-risk, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about mm-hmm. what could be 
you know, one of these systems could be the largest software purchase a company makes. And if you screw it up, you could tank the company, no exaggeration. So when you look at technology adoption, if the sales pitch starts with, we're just going to go in and touch the most important, most fragile piece of software in the whole enterprise. <laughs> it's a bit of a lift. It can be a bit of a lift, especially for the channel at large walking in with that. So a lot of these systems, a lot of this high tech innovation comes with that requirement that hangs off of that, that sales pitch. And it makes it very hard to get it off the ground in the first place. Right. Yeah. Right. So the other, the other aspect though, is, is, uh, it ain't broke. Right. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, terminal based applications, it, they remain one of the fastest, most accurate ways of doing data collection today. And if you think about pushing character based terminal emulation through as far just just pure throughput as quickly as you can hit the buttons the screens will refresh so if you're a worker you're never waiting on the next screen versus something like a browser app or something where you're waiting for pages to render and again mm -hmm. we're in an industry that's measuring in you know tenths of seconds between transactions because it adds up right the game of scale it begins to add up to millions of dollars of difference if you can shave even 10% off of workflows, mm -hmm. um, which is a lot of the sales pitch around a lot of these technologies. It's incremental improvements, not these big massive shifts, you know? So I think that's that's kind of uh, what's, what's dragging on a lot of those systems. They work and there'd have to be a great reason to touch them, right? And, and so a lot of the technologies, if they hang on that, there's going to be drag. There's going to be drag on the sales pitch. So let's talk about the other side of the equation, though, real quick, Justin. I mean, yeah, I, I get it and totally understand that. Having worked for several companies that were run by accountants, and accountants <laughs> like nothing more than to amortize their, you know, right, their right. capital expenditures over decades. Great, right. yeah. even better. Whatever, three to five years, of course. But you know, the, the more that they can get out of their equipment, the better. But but the obvious, yeah. you know, the 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 inverse is true in the sense that you know, there's been rapid change happening in in WMS and 3PL and all of that, certainly the pandemic has really exacerbated a lot of that, as you mentioned in the mm -hmm. opening, John, just, you know, so much being delivered to home now and, and just, yeah. that's just one small aspect right. of just-in-time inventory, which is, you know, even now kind of an archaic term and uh, stuff like that. So there's, there's market pressure happening on the other side, though, Justin, right, from like the consumer and or the businesses that are needing information, right? So it comes down to needing that information, having access to the information, stuff like that, that maybe is compelling some of these uh, entities to, Absolutely. right? I mean, there, there's a balance. We can keep our old yeah. system and don't break it. It's, it's yeah. working, but now we can't plug into all these rapid changes that are happening in the, in the, in, in the world, really. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's your yeah. commentary there? Yeah. I think, well, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because there is a lot of, um, there is a lot of news, especially around very particular industries, you know, especially as a result of COVID food delivery became very important. The first time most of us ever experienced no food on the shelves. Right. right. And so that right. had a lot of people's attention. Um, Automation became a very, very big topic of discussion because you weren't running the risk of having people within six feet of each other. And that became sort of an obvious, you know, uh, help toward that, toward that issue. Um, home delivery, um, you know, sort of that last mile uh, delivery kind of, kind of question, omni-channel and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I think it's important to keep in mind that that is not the market as a whole. Those are, mm -hmm. those are pockets of the market, right? But if you make bolts for bridges, you aren't concerned about any of those things. Yep. You know, if you make yep. radial tires or something, you're, you're not worried about those things. And there's, you know, there's a whole swath of industries that, that uh, aren't concerned about, you know, retail fulfillment centers and, and things like, things like that. So I think, you know, each of these industries have their own needs and that's why I kind of. I take a kind of unpopular opinion about technology adoption in general and that they all have their place. So they all have their industry and they all hit their balance point, but none of them are kind of the panacea for everybody. 
all the time, right? There yeah. is no sort of one technology to rule them all. Yeah. So I think there's just, uh, there's a lot of pressure in particular industries would be my, my stance. Yeah, and I agree. And and it'll be fascinating to see how it pans out, how that influences other areas, other markets. Mm. So I think your point is very well taken. If I'm a bolt manufacturer that's supplying to bridges, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty low on the totem pole as it relates to the sexiness that I need in my right. WMS system right. and, and connecting right. it to all these other systems. But there's going to be some influence there, I guess, eventually. There's probably not there. a giant fluctuating demand for, you know, bolts right. at this point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. Influenced by yeah. world, unless the world just decides that we need more down. bridges. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think the the one thing else that stuck out that you pointed out to me, which you know, I, I joked at the top, you know, about you know Neanderthals sticking with old technology, but mm -hmm. at the same time, I totally get that idea of hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And and the fact that sometimes the older systems simply worked and worked faster and better and everybody understood how to use them. I remember from my days at different companies, you know, when I was in sales, especially using different CRMs and old school. I mean, I when I was in publishing, for instance, you know, we used JDE for a while, that old green screen type technology mm -hmm. that was, you know, our bridge between us and the warehouse and very our popular. inventory. Yeah. You can believe it. Yeah. And, and honestly, yeah. you know, people loved that system. And, uh, and eventually when they moved away from it, there was people in customer service that were very upset about that. The new system that we eventually, yeah. I think we did something Oracle based at some point in the new, and as we made that progression, you know, people hated that change. They thought everything took longer, was harder to do than it was before. People were like, just give me back right. my green screens. Those were fantastic. <laughs> it didn't look good, but it worked. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And, I, and I know, you know, the, the goal is that eventually that new technology should help you work better. But that transition period, that time in between of getting you from your system that everybody knows by the like the back of their hand mm -hmm. and the system that everybody maybe should be on that will eventually make your company better. How do you justify that part in the middle of the time it's going to take to get there and whatever that could damage yes. your business in the meantime, mm -hmm. you know, it could, it could. And you think about all of the systems that are built around that, you know, every onboarding plan for a new employee is built around training yep. and there's a, yep. a, a you know, metrics they're measuring performance by and that this person should be up on this app by this time. And all of that becomes irrelevant the moment you wipe out the app. Yeah. And I think if we do kind of a postmortem on Android migration, I think that is probably the crux of where things didn't move as fast as they possibly could have. And that there is sort of this temptation that, uh, well, we're gonna migrate, we're gonna, we're gonna move to a brand new device right? We're going to move to a brand new OS. It's, it's very touch focused. The hardware is very touch focused and we're going to do away with the keyboard. Right. Um, and let's just get the hurting over with while we're at it. Right. The great temptation <laughs> is sort of like, while we're at it, let's just do it all right now. The, yeah. Pull off the band-aids. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Pull Except right. everybody, you know, everybody had all of these systems and accountability. And you think about certain warehouses are compensating their employees. Mm -hmm. off of how much work they're getting done. So you think about the added resistance of that users not wanting to use any system that adds any drag whatsoever because it could very well affect their paycheck next week. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it just all of these other surrounding systems, you know, it's built into the culture or something. Some companies are very flexible and change very quickly and adopt new technology and their systems are very flexible. Um, but the users aren't. Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, right? Or the users are very flexible and very hungry for new technology. But the systems or the company that would do the investment in it is not for whatever reason. You know, they're, they're more conservative about that. And those things all factor into a technology being adopted as a whole, right? So it could be a lot of different things. Some of these things fall on their face for, for very practical reasons, right? Very simple reasons. I think you've done an excellent job of, of, of painting a picture of all the headwinds yeah, that yep, are out there. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, then then let's start talking about some of this, the, the grand new technology that is out there in, in the world of warehouse yeah. and supply chain. Mm -hmm. Things like, you know, automation, robotics, IIoT, mm -hmm. uh, cloud integrations, all this cool stuff that we think about and we talk yeah. about and say, man, this is great, cool stuff. Everybody go do it. <laughs> And now that we've established this baseline that, hey, it's not quite that simple, right. from your perspective, you know, as companies are thinking about how do we do this, how do we get there, we know we need this yeah. stuff, we know we're, we're probably heading that direction at some point, especially if you want to stay competitive, you know, what are you seeing that demands that immediate attention 
you know, where do you think, you know, the focus should be, you know, and this is kind of, you know, something almost directed to our VARs to think about as they're going out and talking to their folks, like where, where should the attention be right now to help them get their warehouse partners on the right path and staying competitive, you know, over the next decade or so? Yeah, I would, I would think that anything that mitigates risk, right? And if we start from the assumption that the biggest thing that companies are trying to avoid, especially if we think about how uncertain the market still is, it still remains, right? That uncertainty breeds caution. Mm -hmm. And so any way that you can communicate mitigating risk to a user is going to be a very powerful message right now. So if you look at all of the new technologies that are that are coming out, a great many of them require a huge investment in time and money and all of that upfront, right? Before they can see the ROI, before they see the benefit. Um, and uh, there's also, you know, sort of the training headwinds and, and systems headwinds and all of, all of those things, right? But um, I think the most important thing as an aggregate opinion on technology is to focus on uh, things that can be integrated quickly and can be retrofitted over existing systems, right? So can it overlay onto the existing environment? And when I'm talking the environment, I don't just mean the computer systems that run them, right? Can they be hooked up to speak intelligently to the systems that are there already? So you aren't having to walk in as a partner and say, all right, and you know we'll get this up and running in no problem, and all you have to do is replace your WMS, right? And that, that'll, <laughs> that's a non-starter, right? Mm -hmm. But I mean the literal environment. Can you plug it in and keep your racking in place? Will the Wi-Fi infrastructure support all of that, or does it need its own Wi-Fi infrastructure? Or how about the people? You know, I think I think modernization and and Android migration was a great analogy for that. And assess the company's flexibility for change, right? Um, one, of, one of the other things that's not being talked about a lot, but I think it will be as more of these systems get integrated and as people tie up IIoT solutions and, and you know, peripherals and, and things like that um, and robotics and all of that is the more you hang off a system, it's kind of like a Christmas tree, right? Mm -hmm. And the more systems you hang on the WMS, um, it can start to get a little unwieldy, right? But it becomes a real problem when you want to switch the Christmas tree without disturbing any of the ornaments, right? <laughs> so um, yeah. that would be the thing is, is you know, prevent, prevent how much you have to hang directly off of their systems. You know, as a, as a partner, to the best of your ability, present solutions that don't require getting a number of programmers and their internal systems involved. Yeah, so brilliant. I think that's the, that's, those are two of the big things. One, have a system to integrate a lot of technologies, have a very flexible platform. And the other angle I think would be data. You know, it's sort of become the expectation in the industry um, that you can have the data to back up whatever metric you're saying. So if you say this form factor will improve 14%, you know, of your productivity, uh, that you can prove that somehow, that you've got some data being fed reliably back to someplace that can show that to a user. And that gives the user the kind of confidence to take the baby steps forward, if that makes sense. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit because you mentioned it uh, earlier and in, in, when you were talking too about the sales pitch and stuff like that, that, that you would utilize yeah. or or uh, tips of the trade there. And, and, and maybe we can segue a little bit into stay linked as well and, and how and where you guys fit into this equation, yeah. you know, uh, or continuum. What are what are some things, you know, obviously you can't go in swinging, you know, for the fences saying, especially because I think you've done right. a, a great job of Absolutely. You're, you're trying to replace entrenched stuff that is mission critical that, yes, if you break it, right. the company goes down. I mean, this doesn't get any more impactful than that. So what are some yeah. tips that you have and, and start talking to us about that and, and where Staylink fits in in here? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, again, some of this stuff could fall down just for the wrong narrative, right? And, yeah. and kind of the, the narrative around, well, while we're at it, let's just get the hurting over with. And I think we we learned a lot as an industry about what works and what doesn't. I think um, a lot of people and a lot of a lot of the market at large went to customers, particularly around the Android migration thing. That was a really interesting um, kind of 
exercise in technology adoption because mm -hmm. there was so much cool hardware, mm -hmm. right? That, that was coming out. And you think about as a manufacturer, some of the doors that opened. So the two things that break down the most on a mobile device are the keyboard and the screen, right? Yep. So Android comes out and it, it becomes the kind of top dog of the smart OSs, right? And it facilitates putting in much higher grade uh, screens that are finger touch based as opposed to a stylus, right? Um, and given that it's a very touch focused OS, the sort of logical conclusion is, all right, let's get rid of the keyboard. Now, if you think about where those devices were going to end up, right? 65% being used for terminal emulation. Terminal emulation or Telnet is 52 years old. For 52 years, it's been run by a keyboard. And we're talking about getting rid of the one thing that it <laughs> uses for all, all data input, right? Um, so all of a sudden, there was a narrative. If you look at some of the wearable form factors, for example, mm -hmm. that came out without a keyboard, that the screens were too small, despite being bigger than their predecessors or anything. And, and that wasn't the case at all. It was that the keyboard was getting in the way because now they were sharing space right, right. with right. the actual application screen. So you'd pop the keyboard and lose half the screen that yep. the users were yep. used to seeing. Yeah, your QWERTY so is taking half the damn screen now. Right, yeah, right. right. Mm -hmm. Or the fact that it's QWERTY, right? right. And exactly. before they'd had an ABCD kind of layout. And, and we talked about it. just simple <laughs> yeah, stuff. Simple like things that. like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. But, but when people are relying on that and they rely on that for their speed and they're used to something, I think the most important thing that the market learned was going in and, and we had an exercise in crossing what I call the barrier of viability, right? Mm -hmm. And that as a, as a sort of simplified is just saying, can the solution I'm presenting do the same job as good or better than what they're using today, right? Immediately. Yep. Yep. Right. And if the answer is yes, then they can start budgeting for devices. Right. And if you go in with that sales pitch of saying this, this device, for example, can go in and drop right in and your users will be used to it. And there'll be very little training. We've optimized a couple of things, but we're not going haywire here. We're just showing the potential. Um, perfect. Then, then we're, we're on to the next purchasing discussion, mm -hmm. but it seems like in, especially right now, while there's a lot of uncertainty, one of the headwinds is people don't want to go all in on a new tech. So when Android first came out, there were a lot of people dropping into customers going, check it out, augmented reality, right? And, um, and then it was like the customer was saying, great, where's the augmented reality? And we're saying, no, 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 we're just showing you what the platform could do. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think there's a careful balance between showing people that the, the solution that they're pushing can do the job they're doing today, but that it has the potential to grow into something much more. That seems to be the sweet spot in the market right now is that show it, it'll do it, but that if you want to grow into IIoT or add peripherals like a heads-up display or a back-of-the-hand scanner or something, that, that it's available to you, but you don't have to do it to make the move. You know, I think that's right. a good message there, Justin, because, you know, that's the old future proof adage, right? Mm -hmm. That, you yes. know, when you and, and, yes. and I've been involved in industries that are implementing brand new technology, there's all kinds of resistance. I, I think you've done a very good job eloquently laying out some of the barriers that you're going to face when you walk in the door. But if you if you have the and it's a genuine angle, the future proofing angle, I mean, it's not it's not smoke and mirrors. It is. Hey, everybody can kind of see where things are going. Uh, and, and yes, if I can, if I can help you today, it's going to be a light lift today for what you're using today, but also the solution we're putting in is going to future proof you so that you will be enabled if you ever mm -hmm. want to go into these other areas or integrate these other types of system. That's a smart move. And I think you're probably going to have a lot more success on the sales side, having that kind of an angle yep. rather than, oh yeah, we got virtual reality. We're going to turn your whole warehouse into a yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Just because you have yeah, it think, doesn't mean think, you have to sell it. Right, yeah. exactly. Right, right. It, it becomes kind of that, that question. And actually, you know, if you think about any skill, and a business sort of has to learn how to acquire new technology, that's a mm -hmm. muscle they've got to build, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also a really golden opportunity for the channel and that you can begin to have an ongoing conversation mm -hmm. with the customer. You know, you can, you can have 
uh, a conversation that I think a lot of customers want to hear and that, you know, the bad news is you absolutely have to improve, right? You have to innovate. You have to get better. The good mm -hmm. news is you don't have to be the most innovative. You don't <laughs> have right. to be the yeah. bleeding edge of everything because, you know, graveyards are littered with the names of companies that were the most innovative yeah. about a thing. Yeah, right. right. Um, but as a reseller, if you can show that it's a well you can keep going back to, I think that puts VARS in sort of a unique position to have this sort of ongoing conversation that's saying, all right, this is step one, right? Mm -hmm. We're replacing this technology. We're putting you on a platform and the platform is supposed to grow. So let's map that out. You know, we'll deploy the devices today. We'll get the users training, consuming that. And then we just turn it up just one notch. We don't come from zero to 11, right? We, we tick it up in a way that allows the users to come along with, the business to come along with, and the systems to be kind of budgeted and, and allocated uh, in a way that, that allows it to, to be adopted. So the irony of that is, is technology gets adopted faster, taking baby steps, taking small bite-sized chunks out of it than if you tried to do it all at once. Mm -hmm. Even even if you take the example of Android and, and going graphics, for example, <laughs> right? Um, a lot of the narrative when Android was first deployed and some of the newer form factors were deployed, getting rid of the keyboard and kind of these, these um, new, new positions for the screen and the scanner, um, part of the sales pitch was, and we're going to graphically modernize your app. Right. And so right. modernization right. and Android migration became kind of synonymous. And that's yes, not right. true. Yes. Right. Do you, that's do you not, think that's, that's left a, actual you think that's left a bitter taste in some folks' mouth, you know, absolutely. as yeah, yeah. As you know, they were sold yeah, this bill of goods, if you will, or whatever, you know, all these capabilities and stuff like that. And so maybe that's part of the barriers that that, that folks are seeing out in the marketplace too. Yeah. 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 You're you're seeing um innovation fatigue. Right. Is what you're right. saying. Right. Yeah. And that they're they're tired of hearing of all the great things that'll come three yeah. years from now, right? Yeah. They want to they want to be able to hit the numbers that they've got to hit. We tried your act. whiz bang thing, you know, five years ago, and oh by the way, nobody on my floor could could operate right. the device. Right, right. <laughs> they hated it. Right. They hated it. And, and my productivity and actually went down twenty yep. percent. Yeah. So that there, is there's a some very, headwinds. That is a very important point you're making there, though, that if you mess up that first time that mm -hmm. you bring some new technology to someone, mm -hmm. and yes. just because you're trying to sell them something, you think this is the cool new thing, and it's a complete failure for them or hurts their business in some way, that's it. You've yeah. you've ruined your chance to potentially do that again in the well, future. I, I think Justin's shed right. some light in my mind on because we've been hearing about Android adaptation yep. for years now. I mean, we've been talking about it for it. Yeah. It got to be close to a decade now, yeah. but anyway, yeah. you know, and and that's a really interesting perspective. That's you know, in in some instances, maybe a lot of instances, kind of missed the mark, kind of left a little, little bit of a better taste in some of the end users' mouths, and now they're like, oh yeah, you know, oh here comes the WMS guy again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 And um, if you think about as a user, the stuff that that is coming down the pike, and and some of the we were talking about narrative, a bit, mm -hmm. right, in that. A lot of the narrative that's spoken to a customer is kind of this, you know, you don't want to be blockbuster and have Netflix around the corner, right? right? Or you don't want to be the taxi company and have Uber around the corner mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, but again, that's not most people's world. That's not the, the speed that their environment or their market or, or their particular specialty is facing. You know, and so sort of the urgency of that message and then having it fall flat adds a, a sort of second dose of bad taste in their mouth. And that when the urgency needs to happen around like Windows is dying, it's, you know, no more support right. or something. The urgency of that message is hurt or used up by the narrative of saying, you know, you're going to get taken out by Uber, or Amazon or some sort of specter of, you know, somebody who's higher tech than you. So I, I think that's a really important lesson the market had to learn was around um, expectation management, right? Mm -hmm. Just going in and saying, here are the bite-sized chunks and don't go in with the end game up front 
you know, even even around Android migration, don't go in with a giant software project because you as a reseller will not sell device one until that software is perfect, right? Mm -hmm. Until it's been tested. And, and we had a huge swath of our resellers go in with uh, new devices and at the outset said, before you deploy these devices, we're going to modernize the app and discovered that then it was a year out before they got to see any return on pushing devices into a customer. So that's that becomes a very important skill set too, is learning how to do that and learning as a, as a VAR how to have an ongoing conversation that isn't related to hardware directly. It, it isn't rotating around the expiration of the device or end of life of the device. And that's a muscle that they have to, as resellers, have right. to exercise, right. if yeah. I could use your term again, Justin, because uh, I think yeah. that's right. I mean, you have to get into the exercise of having that conversation uh, around with that. Justin, do you feel like, going back to cloud uh, integration, do you feel like maybe some of the things that you've outlined today is some of the reasons why cloud really isn't getting a lot of adaptation uh, in the WM? I mean, because now it's like this... Yeah, okay, the cloud's been around even longer, you know, it's been talked about even yeah. more than that. But man, talk about a, a scary skeleton in the closet or whatever, you know, it's, uh, oh my God, I'm going to start throwing everything up in the cloud and and how would right. that impact yeah. my business? So yeah. Yeah, maybe that's how to uh, put down the brakes on that side, right? Well, I mean, the second second most valuable information to, uh, or the second most valuable thing to a company beyond the stock they have and the products they make and stuff is the information about how much to make next month or next year or something like that. So there's a lot of factors around that question. You know, security is a big one. And every yeah. time there's a notable hack, you right. know, the, the, it adds more drag to a cloud conversation, right? Yeah. Um, because it, it occurs to people like it's not all upside, mm -hmm. right? right. Um, but on top of that, there's sort of a, a different uh, paradigm. Some people take great pride in the engineering they've put into their application and owning that and having that that system, and having, you know, a, a WMS or or an ERP package say oh, we're just going to move all that to cloud and that'll be our our thing. And if you want to change it, no problem. We'd be happy to do that for you for a nominal fee. Right. right? There's there's sort of a number of implications. To that, if you own it, if you buy a, a WMS system, typically for a little bit extra, you'd also get the code. And so you could change and do whatever you want, integrate whatever you want, tie in whatever systems you want. But if you go for a, a full cloud offering, and obviously there's degrees of cloud offerings. They're the, it's our problem, you're subscribing to our WMS. There's the, we're just running your hardware in the cloud kind of WMS, or there's the, you know, on-prem stuff. So there's degrees in there, but... Yeah, there's a there's a lot of different uh, kind of reasons people haven't moved to cloud, but one of them, I think, the biggest one probably is just the risk to the data they perceive, whether it's true or not. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's go back to the stay link. Uh, so, where do you guys fit in here? Let's let's connect the dots to some of our resellers out there in yeah. in, the, in the continuum because I don't All know right. that we address that. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of you know it's a weird specialty. We specialize in terminal emulation. Right. Um, and which is a weird thing to say in 2021, right? <laughs> Made all the weirder by the fact that that company has a CTO, right? <laughs> Two of them, right? So, uh, so where we fit, we, we are the mechanism that connects the mobile devices to the WMS system as a simple yeah. example, right? We feed the workflow from the warehouse management system to the user telling them what boxes to pick and, and, uh, orders to fill in all of that. Right. Um, where our specialty is, is we, we solved a very basic, but very important problem. You know, I mentioned Telnet, the underlying protocol, the language, the Latin that mm -hmm. terminal emulation speaks um, is 52 years old and doesn't even fundamentally understand uh, wireless. It didn't, it was written for a wired environment, right? So uh, as technology evolved and things went software-based, instead of typing into a terminal, Right. Instead of running pen and paper and then somebody setting those stacks of paper down in front of somebody at a terminal and doing data entry into the system, people were handed a computer in the warehouse and connected wirelessly to do real time data collection. Right. We remember that phrase. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when that happened, when that technology jump happened, nothing changed about the Latin underneath. <laughs> and so uh, every time. 
there was an interruption to the connection for whatever reason, for any one of a hundred reasons, you would lose all the work that you've done. So if you think of it as sort of the phone call analogy, you have a phone call going with mm. the WMS system and you're having a conversation and it's kind of like wired phones versus wireless. There were no such thing as drop calls on wired phone systems. But then when cell phones first came out, that was all anyone ever talked about. Right. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. Oh, I had um, a dead zone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have a conversation going only in Telnet, it's even worse because it's like you dropped a phone call. And when you call back, the system completely forgot who you were. You can't establish the conversation you were having. You have to start. Calling again? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's how you we got the name. Didn't... Yeah, that's uh that's so we we reestab or we actually maintained the connection and and basically how we did that was we said the only way to solve all the problems a 52-year-old protocol has with modern environments is to not use it. And so we we created a thin client based software. Um so the device is kind of remote controlling a, a telnet session inside of a software that's usually installed right next to their WMS. So the only way the session ever goes down again is if the WMS system goes down. Mm -hmm. In which case you have much bigger problems than your telnet sessions, right? Exactly, we're, we're right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But how we solved that became very important to how people began to adopt technology. It turned out to be a good bet that paid dividends, you know, a decade later. That's still, that connectivity issue is still one of the biggest drags on productivity in the warehouse, people mm -hmm. dealing with this obsession issue. But when you look at something like modernization, right, or, or graphic modernization or adopting a new technology like a heads-up display or a back-of-hand display or something like that, that would normally take its own app. Um, what we found was that uh, part of the drag was how much lift people had to do on the remote device. That if you want to change the user's experience, if the most important part of the connection existed on the device in the world of Telnet, that's where all the configuration has to go to. That's mm. where all the load mm. is. So if you want to voice enable it, you want to change it so it looks more graphic, you want to add IIoT peripherals to it, you have to do that out on the remote device. So now you're adding layers of complexity and risk and all of that. But how we'd solve this problem with this this connectivity thing. So first of all, just having all the wireless tech support calls go away. Just go away, right? Yeah, that's a right. big that's a big help. But now if you could say, okay, and let's just make that button graphic. And instead of having to get a file out and push it out to all of each of these remote devices, you could just check a checkbox and have the user start a new session. It takes effect right away. Mm -hmm. That became so important to users migrating to Android, especially when they wanted to go graphic, because nobody knew what graphic meant. Everybody right. had a different right. definition, right? Yep. And yeah. it, the moment you say, I want a modern interface, it, you'd be right? shocked how many people become graphic designers, right? That, um, <laughs> oh, we live, yeah, yeah, and yeah. your spectrum is, yeah. is like a nightmare. Some people, well, graphics to me yeah. means what we used to have, while the next customer right. might say, well, graphics to us means it's got to have the interface of whatever. Mission right. control, right? right. It's, it's like color. It's yeah, be color, color yeah. And, and, yeah. and drop shadows yeah. and and all this stuff. It's like, yeah. whoa, what? That doesn't uh, equate yeah. to Telnet. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. No, Definitely. and it's, it's weird because that that became a big a big thing. So so that's sort of what shaped our philosophy on technology adoption in general was that this sort of being able to iterate quickly mm -hmm. and get feedback very rapidly became key to the successful deployments that, that went full modernization. We learned a lot. For example, that error messages are the number one benefit for graphic modernization. If you can make an error message big and loud and red and flashing in a way that it couldn't be before, that, that one enhancement has huge dividends on productivity, just, just in accuracy in general, right? or menus or login screens. So, so we discovered where, again, where the balance point was and the desire to, to do that. And everything else turned out to be window dressing to a company that only cared about the number. They only wanted to go as far as it would affect the number. So um, that sort of shaped our philosophy on, on technology in general, this sort of baby steps, allowing users to try, allowing them to do A-B testing 
and to get data back to say, all right, this was either worth the investment. And so let's keep going. Let's, you know, we've got confidence now, we've got feedback, mm -hmm. we've got numbers. So let's keep going or fail fast and move on to the next idea. Mm -hmm. That, that yeah. became yeah. very, very important. Yeah. So, so we created a software platform that enabled that um, for, for TE. With a lot of the new technology that's coming out, a lot of the the stuff that people want to try, heads up display or um, wearables, wearables, again wearables or or anything where they want to move the productivity to some other spot on the body, right? Um, or or to a robot, you know, they want to move it off the body entirely and and have yep. a right. robot handle it. Um, that would take a huge lift and a huge investment. It would take writing a custom application and custom integrations and all of those things. So we created uh, a platform called Staylink.io and effectively that flattened out the integration layer. You could make a single call to IO and say whether you wanted to update a heads up display or a back of hand display or call a robot or call a drone or call whatever and have that trigger off of some point in the workflow. So it was sort of this, this uh, new evolution of modernization, you know, that, that we could integrate this into, uh, into existing environments. So even people running TE could begin to invest in and see benefit from some of this new tech. Um, so that was the one half, that was the integration half that we were talking about, right? Mm -hmm. the, other, the other half was the data. Right, mm -hmm. being able to give the data back. So the other the other product that we developed was Staylink IQ, and that was taking a lot of the data from all of these platforms to be able to give valuable data back to the user. And you'd be shocked how little AI it actually takes to get valuable oh. data. Back. Oh no, I believe that absolutely. You just give them a little bit of the analytics, a little tap into the data, and oh my gosh, it's opening up this even, whole even, new world, right? Yeah, just basic information. If you could tell users how many times their users went out of range, mm -hmm. for example, but only when they were trying to do work, right? That's a that's a really interesting metric because now you're not saying. Here's all the out of range spots in your warehouse, which could be a moving target, right? Depending on right. what you make. If you make fridges that could move every week, right? Sure. Um, you're saying these were the spots that were interrupting work and now they can be very focused about what they go and fix. Very so nice. as a company that becomes very important. You don't want to spend money on something. If, if I don't have coverage between the cage where they pick up the device and where they're going to start their work, I don't care as a business. Mm -hmm. I don't care about that. Right. Right. I care that the moment they're supposed to start work, they can do work. Yeah. So how efficient is right there? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right. Exactly. That's more yeah. data than anybody's had ever, right? Yeah. And that's a, <laughs> right. that's a that's a simple thing. So that's yeah. that's sort of where we address the market. You know, from a very practical standpoint, the the TE side yeah. of it and stabilizing yeah. that environment, building that on bedrock, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. But then when you want to amp things up. How do you simplify the integration and how do you get the data to prove it that it helped? Yeah. How do you how do you yeah. prove that heads up displays made any difference and that that was the thing that changed it? All with a language that was around before we got on the moon. <laughs> Honestly, you think about this. I, I spend most of my day thinking of or trying to teach robots Latin right. and teaching people they don't need to learn robot to try robots. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. that's sort of the weird position that that we're in here is that a lot of this technology there was just no context for it and so that's really what the software does is trying to add yeah. context well listen uh, good. if you want to learn more about stay linked obviously we have a relationship with them yep reach out to your blue star representative we will be happy to make an introduction and and, and have them help you help your customers get to the next level of technology uh so uh you know i do want to take a break here and, and kind of note that hey as always thanks to our founding members elo epson honeywell and zebra we appreciate their support um as always if you want to reach out to us you can find us on twitter at tech connect pod or you can email us TechConnect at BlueStarInc.com. All right, well, let's wrap things up with our uh, our usual recurring segments, Value to the VAR. Uh, we'll start off there. So, mm -hmm. you know, 
I, I think we've kind of covered a lot of this already during our topics. So we may not have a lot more to say, but, you know, Justin, I'll let you start here. If you were to advise a VAR that has customers that are still using these legacy systems, you know, is there one place maybe you would recommend they get started with a conversation to help make these upgrades happen and help them think about what's next? Yeah, yeah I mean, I think a lot of our partners have seen a great deal of success, again, going in with that kind of barrier of viability message, right? Here's how we can get in and replace what you have today in a, in a very safe, low risk way, but gets you on a platform that can grow. That's a very winning message. But I think wrapped around that and what sets up that sort of ongoing conversation with the customer is um, building a practice in the business for managing at least one of their problems ongoing, right? So you can't, the, the days of being able to go in and build a business around just dropping devices in and I'll see you in five years or something. Those days are done, right? Yeah, Those days are yeah, done. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So the more problems that you can sort of manage, again, help mitigate risk and proactively monitor and proactively improve, um, I think that's that's probably the, the winningest angle that a lot of uh, VARs could, could go in with. You could say, we're going to take care of your device deployment end to end, and it won't be on you to have to pick your shots on where we go with it next or how we improve it. We're going to manage that, right? For an ongoing, whatever kind of recurring fee or something, it's our job to help you hit better numbers the next quarter than you did this previous quarter or than you did a year ago. So having a services offering that's wrapped around the mobile device, and it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, a kind of modernization or software play per se. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're using their tools that they've bought, using a mobile device management for ongoing maintenance of the devices and taking care of security updates, which is always, you know, that's a very hot topic or taking care of software updates and stuff. And just showing that that was a problem and managing it has a return uh, that enables the partners to have that kind of trusted advisor role. And since they're being paid to do it, there's sort of an opportunity every time that payment comes up to have that discussion with the customer. I think that's really smart. I think yep. he just laid out a good, you know, the only tweak I would add or not even tweak to it, I would add on to that was that whole, you know, when you're, when you're in that mode and you're trying to get, have the conversation around the upgrade, you know, the incremental sales uh, tactic is, is, is a winner. And, and in this case, when you're addressing an audience that is steeped and it's, <laughs> and it's entrenched in the technology that it's using, that's a really smart step. Mm -hmm. Future proof, you know, also you add to that, you know, the, the sense that, yeah, we're going to take this one. One incremental step. It's not going to disrupt your your existing systems uh, with the implementation. It's a light lift, light load, uh, but you're also going to be prepared, better prepared for the future. Yeah. Uh, whatever, wherever that may go, as Justin yeah. pointed out, you know, wherever and, this might. And be. you have that recurring revenue piece, which we just talked oh, about on last that. week's episode uh, already. Yeah. We love that. Kudos to Justin for for bringing up the old managed exactly. service. Yeah. You know, the only other thing I think I would <laughs> add here is, um, you know, the the sales side of things too. And we kind of referenced this a little bit earlier. People that wanted to run in and show off all the cool things like that Android could do, for instance. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this back during our uh, Effective Sales Presentations episode, this idea that, look, don't run in blazing with all the cool stuff you have. Mm -hmm. Run in and tell – actually, don't run in. Take your time first. Understand who they are, what their business is, what they need, and then go in and tell them about right. the things that you have that you offer that meets those needs and can get them where they need to go. Yeah. Not just because you want to sell something, but because you honestly have a solution that's about them and for them. Yeah. So, yep, there we go. absolutely. All right, well, let's wrap up yep. with our favorite segment of each week, What's Tech Connecting With Us? This is where we get to go around and talk about a cool innovation, a piece oh. of technology, something oh, in the aliens, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, Justin, I'll start with you. What's Tech Connecting With You right now? Oh, man. I So, I, I'm a bit of a 3D printing nerd, okay. no doubt. Okay. I, I love 3D printing, and uh, that's just, you know, some of the technologies – and stuff that are coming out of that and the materials that are coming out of that. Like I can print metal at home now, which is kind That's of crazy. Awesome. Yeah. No, but I was, I was actually just reading about just power in general, solar and things like that, but uh, massless batteries that they'd made this huge improvement to being able to build batteries into the structure of things, cars, or, you know, you think about how that impacts our, our, 
market like forklifts or something and battery management and what that's got to do to these things that they can build them into the structure of the vehicle and also expand the battery life by, you know, 10, 10, 20, you know, percent or 20 times in some case, you know, those, those two in particular kind of get, get my motor running for sure. I'm, yeah, cool. I'm interested in battery technology too. I, yes. And if we can put it into the infrastructure, I mean, amen. Yeah, yeah. Because so much of yeah. our world is going to that direction. Yep. Uh, it's ridiculous. So I, I, maybe we should start a battery company. I don't know. There, I mean, there's so much innovation <laughs> happening there, though. I mean, talk about rapid adaptation and stuff. I don't, I don't know that we could keep up with that. Well, if you need a podcast about batteries, you know, you know where to go. <laughs> oh, there will be a podcast just <laughs> around with batteries. somebody we do had a podcast. Uh, yeah, good talk about that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. yeah. <laughs> All right, Dean, what's tech connecting with you? Uh, flying cars. No, so we've been talking nah. about flying cars. Are they finally right? here? Can I get one? Uh, well, Joby Aviation might have the solution for okay. you, John. And okay. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you too, Justin, if you're interested. Uh, so Joby Aviation, the reason why I'm bringing this up, this is the first flying car, if you will. I'm going to use air quotes around flying car, and I'll get to that in just a second. <laughs> okay. The first one has gone public. So they're, they're, they have an IPO coming out. Mm -hmm. They got a $6.6 billion valuation, right? Wow. So that's that's not small change. No, I not mean, at that's, all. Uh, right. So they've got hmm. some backing behind this. Uh, so what is it? Well, it's it's a car, if you will. But really, it's a it's a souped up drone that can carry four people around. OK. I mean, it's it uses like drone drone. To, if you look at the picture, it's got five blades yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of small. You know, each blade is what, three feet along, or, uh, wide or whatnot. But it can carry four passengers, 200 miles an hour anywhere you know type of a thing so what nice. was fascinating to me is that yeah maybe john maybe we're getting close to our wish of someday having a flying transportation so so that's that's the rub there they it just they has to be automated that's my thing well, that's i don't fine. want i don't want people driving them around dude if, if if we're if we're going up in the air in these things i mean i think there's going to be some automation to them right you're not so. going to although it did say oh, a pilot, pilot seat so uh, yeah. yeah well i mean if it's a trained <laughs> pilot that's fine i just don't want I don't want the same people that are driving around me every day to be people the, driving. The people that were getting in front of you on your yeah, way over exactly. here to the podcast yes. studio. Yes. yes. Exactly. Yeah. I don't Those want it. Same yeah. idiots. I think I want the battery technology to get there first before we went up and, <laughs> you know, things are, but it's too, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to run out of gas. Yeah, like, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's I don't want really to turn on the news and hear about someone's flying car that dropped out of the out of the air and destroyed yeah. someone's roof and, you know, half their house. But know. we don't have anti-gravity yet, so we got to use the technology that we have today. And, and this is a souped-up drone yeah. uh, that is going to be flying people around, maybe some automation to it. Hey, they've done a 1,000 flights, and the U.S. Air Force approved its airworthiness. So they've got wow. some things behind them. So okay. I don't know. Okay. I don't know if this is reality or not, but this is the closest that I've seen. When a, when a company goes public and right. people start investing in it, Maybe, yeah, you know, maybe yeah, this yeah. is the next Elon Musk. I, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Joby well, Aviation, look out for I it. will take your sci-fi concept yes. and take you one up further. Go for it. Here's a headline for Popular Mechanics. Scientists <laughs> announced a physical warp drive is now possible. No! Seriously. <laughs> Seriously is even in the title of this article. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I'm not going to dive too far into this, and, get in, and I didn't dive too far into the <laughs> physics of it. But basically, we've got some physicists who have figured out, hey, you know, we've, we talk about warp drive, and the reason why we say it's impossible or so far in the future that we can't even fathom it yet is because of these negative energies we'd have to harness that we have no concept of how to do that or even a real fundamental understanding of them at this moment. All right. Well, they have reached a point where they feel like, hey, you know what? Maybe we don't need that type of energy that we thought we needed. The way they describe it is instead of finding a way to stick a spaceship into a warp bubble, it's just more about figuring out a way to create the bubble around whatever we've got and use that to shove it through ah. hyperspace, warp space, whatever it is to get you from point A to B faster and outside of the known universe. Okay. Now, the caveat to that is they have this understanding of it. They're like, we, we basically are saying we understand at this point how it could be done. Conceptually. Right. Yeah. But we are nowhere near the type of yeah. physics, fundamentals, materials, energy, and understanding of the universe that we would need to actually do it. But, you know, it's still far future, yeah. but a practical warp drive has been 
conceptualized. Yes. 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 Oh, all right. So, dang, oh, I wanted that. So, <laughs> we're that much closer to Star Trek. But but we are talking. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say we're talking. You know, full power. Yeah. And I assume. I'm sure fly, it's a, start flying. I'm sure it's not as fun and cool as that. But you know, <laughs> that's the idea. Yeah. So. All right. Well, hey, I still think my flying car is a little bit closer to reality. <laughs> yes. Than your I, warp drive. I would bubble. say so. Yes. I, like I said, I, I'm taking you and taking you one step further to you know generations. What kind future, of battery so. are we going to need for that, Justin, oh, to do this? Anti, right? It's gonna have to be big. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Justin Griffith from Staylink, thank you so much for joining us today. It is unfortunately time for us to unplug. So until yeah. next time, everybody, please stay connected. Interested in selling RFID solutions, but aren't sure where to start? Zebra has you covered with a full portfolio of RFID hardware and support services. With growing applications in TNL, manufacturing, healthcare, retail, and more, RFID improves supply chains, streamlines inventory management, and improves online order fulfillment. To learn more about Zebra's line of RFID readers and printers, visit the link in the show notes or contact the Zebra team at Bluestar. Elo is bringing decades of touchscreen experience to the palm of your hand. Introducing the M50 handheld mobile computer, an enterprise-grade Android device built for efficiency and connectivity. With a 5.5-inch HD touch display, integrated 2D barcode scanner, Android 10 OS, and a rugged design for commercial use, the M50 is ready to seamlessly integrate via EloView or the MDM of your choice. Long battery life, quick charge, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, or 4G communications, and plenty of accessories make the M50 a bold new choice for enterprises like warehousing, retail, healthcare delivery, and more. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes or contact Blue Stars ELO team.